This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for another two entertaining hours on The Breakfast Buffet. It's a crisp and bright Saturday morning. Some showers may be around, but overall a lovely day. I hope this finds you well. This morning on The Bottom Line, during the week, Minister Heather Humphreys announced details of a new automatic pension enrolment scheme. It's probably the biggest move on pensions in a generation and will impact every business in the country. We talked to a pensions expert to find out what is involved and how much it will cost business. For years, there's been talk about the development of the Abbey Quarter, the massive old Smithwick's brewery site in the heart of Kilkenny City. At last, the opening of the first business on site is in sight. We'll bring you an exclusive first look behind the scenes and talk to some of the people involved. For birthdays, anniversaries, special occasions or maybe even just for a random act of kindness, greeting cards are used to mark the really important things in life. We talked to a Kilkenny woman who's established a business making high quality limited edition and bespoke greeting cards and find out how she's getting on. But first, joining me on the line to cast an eye over some of the issues that are making the headlines and impacting business is Rowena Dooley, dealer principal of Dooley Motors in Carlow, which is, of course, a family-run business and an award-winning Ford dealership and, I believe, the fastest-growing Kia dealership in the country. Good morning, Rowena. Good morning, John. How are we finding you this morning? Very good, thank you. Very good. Look, before we like get into... the, the grey weather here. <laughs> uh, well, look, uh, the sun will break through. Uh, kind of like that... Um, before we get into the business uh, stories that have been catching your attention, how are things? It's a tough business environment. Um, I was reading Richard Curran during the week in the Irish Independent. He said that business is in a, a twilight zone, somewhere caught between the good and the bad. It's tough going, but you have to keep going. Yes, it is. It's been, been, it's been a challenging couple of years, all right. And I suppose the, the good news and the good news in terms of the backdrop is there's very strong demand still out there. On foot of two years of, uh, you know, people being at home, particularly spent, uh, not spending so much, saving. There has been strong demand in our industry. We've seen it, and supply has been a bit of an issue, but uh, it's been huge strong demand. So that's a positive, and I think many other industries are seeing that demand as well. Straight up, I suppose, until uh, the 24th of February before the invasion, there was really strong business uh uh, in, in desire to invest and uh, and grow and you know bullish sort of propensity to move forward, but um, things are slightly on hold. People are you know waiting to see, slightly cautious. But once I say the backdrop and employment stays as strong as it is, uh, we like to think that the future for the rest of the year, anyway, the outlook is, is quite strong. Yeah, and and that's an interesting point because if we cast our mind back two years we were just at the very early stages of the pandemic and it looked very very bleak but you know people did get through it not forgetting the people who suffered hugely and the people in the health service who were still under huge threat but life goes on and people are very resilient as the people of Ukraine have shown Um, it might be tough but people take a positive outlook attitude and, and, and just dig in and get going it's the same in business yeah, definitely. 
we, we, we there's no other option really we just need to keep going and get on with it as I say when we, when you're fit and well anything's possible and achievable and you can get on with it I mean we, we've a great team here and uh, Cardo is a great place to do business so we found you know just having a, a can-do attitude is the best approach yeah and a lot of good stuff happening in, in Carlo uh, you, you were just reminding me before we came on air just tell our listeners about reasons to be cheerful for Carlo so to speak yeah, there's, we're certainly on the cusp of many great things that are about to start happening, and um, we're seeing it on the ground. First of all, um, our, our, we're going to become uh, Carlo Institute of Technology. It's going to become a university next year, which will establish Carlo as a university town, which is going to be a game changer. Um, also, a recent appointment funding uh, for under the URDS scheme for Carlo Project 2040 is also going to revolutionise and completely change our town centre. Um, there are a number of things we're seeing on the ground, like Carlo Exchange, it's right in the centre of town. That's hopefully going to be opened sometime early summer. Um, and just a, 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 a willingness and uh, and a pride that's now being restored in our in our town and in our county. So we're a fanta- fantastic place to do business. We're one of the few towns that saw a five percent increase in our in our uh, in our urban area from the 2011 census to 2016, and I'd expect it's even going to be a bigger increase this year in our in our census. So it's a great place to do business. It's a great chamber of commerce, a great local enterprise office, and. Uh, a, Certainly, there's a great propensity amongst the business community to continue to do business uh, amongst ourselves and uh, to offer good value and good service. Mm. It's a great so, place to do business in. Yeah, so the glass very much half full, but there are um, there are challenges and, and individuals finding it very difficult with with rising prices. I just look at um, Airtricity recently announced price rises, a uh, 24% increase in the price of electricity, 32% in in gas. Very difficult for individuals, but very challenging environment for um, for uh, business. Yes, it is. It's very, very difficult for business in terms of planning and, uh, you know, budgeting for the future when the pricing and the, the cost of energy is just going through the roof. But same for, for domestic users. Look, like everything, you have to control the things you control can control reduce your consumption and look at novel ways of changing the processes but like in, in any business when the costs are growing there's only one place once you've, once you've cut back on your costs as best you can you need the, the increase needs to come on, on, on pricing and there's a, there's a tipping point uh, you know we can't continue to increase prices and increase inflation uh, because that will ultimately not lead to uh, a, a positive result so look let's hope that this 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 escalating increase of energy prices will somewhat stabilise over the next couple of months. Yeah, there's talk from the t- uh, from the Tonish de Leo Varadkar about introducing, you know, more uh, cost of living um, supports for individuals. What about support for business? You know, the the support for business during the pandemic made a huge d- uh, difference, a positive difference. Uh, do we need something similar uh, during the current environment? Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the supports they put in place, as you said, during the pandemic were, were phenomenal and they kept businesses alive and breathing and people would, would allow people to allow businesses to retain the, their people and money in their pockets. But yeah, definitely a novel approach is going to need to be adopted in this challenging environment. I, I believe yesterday he mentioned, Leo Racker mentioned looking at the potential of a 30% tax uh, rate. You know, novel approaches like that need to be looked at. Think that we can stay the same is not. 
we need to change and adapt quickly as as prices and, and costs are soaring. Mm. Yeah, but businesses, yeah, there, there there needs to be equivalent. Potentially look at the vast uh, again for 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 energy and for fuel. That that would help. It would be a bit of a, a lifesaver for businesses. Yeah, now you're in the motor uh, trade yourself, Rowena, a long-standing uh, business, Dooley Motors, uh, family business. Um, how's your business? Electric cars, um, a rise in demand after COP26. Um, fuel prices going up, electricity prices going up. How's demand for, for the motor trade? It's it's really strong at the moment, as I mentioned earlier, strong both for new and for used. The, the, the limiting factor is supply. But certainly we're seeing huge interest on, in electric cars and, you know, even the interest in them. There's a little bit of the road to still travel in terms of pricing of them um, and also in terms of the infrastructure around the country um, to give people the confidence to move over to a, an electric car. But there's a lot, there's a lot of alternatives coming on, on a road, like uh, coming on place, the more affordable options like the hybrid or plug-in hybrid. Um, if people are nervous to go the full electric, uh, to go to the full electric vehicle, but uh, we're seeing really strong demand. What needs to happen though is the used market needs to be uh, filled, needs needs to be ramped up. And with what's happened in um, bright with the, uh, the ripple effect of Brexit, the used market supply is very limited. Mm. So all sorts of challenges. Um, Rowena, you're an employer as well. Um, important announcements for employers and also which will affect employees into the future. Um, I'm talking later to Ed Kassan about the uh, mandatory or the, the automatic enrolment pension schemes. Uh, there's also changes on sick leave and so on. All those going to affect employers. What are you, what's your take on both those measures? I think on both of them, they're welcomed and there needs to be some sort of structure and harmonisation for it. I mean, a lot of private sector employees have been at a disadvantage not having, you know, a structure or formal approach to sick pay and to pensions. I read somewhere it's like 750,000 uh, people are, don't have any pension. So, I mean, that's not good for the economy as a whole. I think it's good the way the government have introduced both of the schemes in a staged approach. Again, it'll help businesses plan for them and and the uh, but it's something that both of them had to be addressed and if we've learned anything from the pandemic we need to we need to we need to protect our people need to protect them when they're vulnerable like i say when they're they're sick and uh, it's a welcome both of them are welcome and as i say welcomed in a staged approach because in light of the cost burden that's there at the moment and labor uh labor shortages businesses can't afford all of it right now right in an instant but over the next three to five years they'll be welcomed yeah um and of course talking about planning ahead this is the census weekend um you know comes around it comes around with increasing frequency it seems to me it doesn't seem that long since we had the last one but this one is different the old time capsule uh, will you be putting anything strange or startling into the time capsule that people in a hundred years time will be uh going oh my god I don't know about strangers startling, but I was chatting actually with my family at home last night, and I think what we're going to do is just outline a day in our lives. Yeah. In the time capsule. Just simply put how, how long it takes to get into school, to work, what we do, what we like to read, what we like to watch on TV, what's our favourite sports, our pastimes, and keep it simple. And hopefully, someone in a hundred years will, will find it interesting or 
<laughs> Absolutely. Uh, isn't Brian Redmond is very fortunate the census wasn't uh, last week because I'm sure a lot of people will be mentioning they were watching Dancing with the Stars. I don't know what they'll be watching this week. <laughs> Rowena, pleasure talking to you. and uh, best thank you for having me on. Pleasure and best wishes to everyone involved in Dooley Motors and Carlo. Thank you. Take care, John. Thank Will you. do. Bye-bye. That's uh, Rowena Dooley, de- dealer principal in Dooley Motors in Carlow, um, giving us her take and uh, great to hear her. Uh, great resilience in the business community. We've all got to keep going. Tough times, many challenges on the horizon, but uh, onwards and upwards. Coming up, we're going to be talking about that um, uh, automatic enrolment pension scheme that was launched during the week. We'll be talking to Ed Kassan uh, from O'Neill Foley. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. Now you're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now the whole issue of pensions and the demographic time bomb that this country is facing have been much in the news over the last years and indeed decades because it relates to the whole issue of how we're going to provide for pensions for our ageing population. Now during the week, uh, big announcement, Minister Heather Humphreys announces details of an automatic enrolment retirement savings system which is going to benefit uh, people who will be retiring in the years ahead and also has big implications for business. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Ed Kassan who's financial planning manager at O'Neill Foley Accountants and a specialist in pensions and financial planning. Ed you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks very much, John. Yeah. Now, did I overcook it? Uh, is it as significant as it's been made out to be in the whole repentance? Uh, I don't think you did overcook it. Uh, uh, it is an extremely positive and very, very major development on the road towards making sure that all of us in Ireland have adequate funds for our old age and our uh, later life uh, and has been worked upon or worked on for many, many years. So it is a major change. Yeah, because the, the reality is that the, the balance between um, the number of people working and the number of people re- relying on pensions is changing the whole time. Isn't that a fact? Yeah, at the moment we have, uh, you often heard mention of a what's called a pension time bomb. And basically what that means, that effectively down the road uh, in 25, 30 years time, there'll be a lot less people working uh, as a ratio of looking after people who are retired. So at the moment there are five people working in Ireland for every one person retired but in about 20-25 years time there'll be as low as three people working for every one person retired. We will be the ones who are retired and effectively our children and grandchildren perhaps will be ones supporting us in old age. And because people are living longer as well so they need to be uh, supported for longer. Um, this is a landmark scheme. How how are other countries dealing with it and, and you know how is this on the kind of chart of getting your act together? Well, uh, there has been a lot of talk of an auto-enrolment or mandatory pension system being brought in uh, in Ireland for the last 20 plus years. And uh, an OECD survey uh, done about in 2014 uh, showed that there was only two countries in the OECD who hadn't done something about it, and uh, ourselves and New Zealand. And so we're now coming on board, like everybody else in the OECD, it's good progress and it's something to be 
to be welcome. Just Absolutely. let's start explaining it a bit. Uh, the press release that I have in front of me says that it's an automatic enrolment retirement savings system, but it also stresses that uh, participation for workers will be voluntary. That seems contradictory. It's automatic, but it's voluntary. Well, it's it's uh, it is automatic, and it is what's known as an opt-out uh, system. Uh, in 2024, uh, January 2024, this uh, automatic enrolment system will commence and uh, everybody who is in a situation that they need to be enrolled in it and there's about 750,000 workers in Ireland at the moment who don't have a pension scheme that will be enrolled um, they will be automatically enrolled and after six months there will be a short window uh, in which one can opt out and that's for month in month seven or month eight and opt out of contributing but interestingly and because Ireland has been I suppose very much benefiting from other countries that were ahead of us in terms of setting something like this up, uh, Ireland has decided to automatically re-enrol people every two years. So over a period of time, I suppose, um, uh, the the workers of Ireland will be uh, perhaps opting out some people, but they'll be opting back in again. Eventually, possibly, they will just say, right, I'll just stick with it and keep going for the rest of my working life. And what are they actually opting in to? And what does it mean? So effectively, uh, as, as, as your listeners will know, uh, pensions and retirement planning is all about long-term savings. So effectively, the government are saying we're going to do this on a phased basis to stop anybody having a bit of a, a, a sudden dramatic uh, reduction in their earnings. So in 2024, uh, every employee who's in automatic enrolment will start paying in 1.5% of their wages or their salary to the scheme. The employers will match that 1.5% also for the first three years and the government will uh, to start off match uh, one third of the employees so basically 0.5% in years after three years the employee will start paying in 3% the employer will also do 3% contribution and the government will go to 1% and after six years it goes up to 4.5% from the employee 4.5% from the employer and onwards up to 10 years then in year 10 which is 2034 uh, every, every employee will be automatically paying in 6%. The employers will be paying 6% and the government will be putting in 2%. So effectively, an employee in 2034 will pay in 6%, but their total pot will be 14% per annum being invested. Yeah, so this is a, a rising cost that's coming down the line for employers as yes. well, but there is notice. There's plenty of notice and this is why the phased uh, implementation is a very, very good idea because again, like other countries uh, who may have, uh, or unlike other countries who probably took a a sudden decision to enrol everybody in a very short period of time at the maximum, the Irish government has decided to do it on a step-by-step, get everybody used to doing it, get the employers used to the the idea, get the employees used to the idea, but not have a a sudden dramatic uh, reduction in, 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 in earnings, profits, etc and uh, it's basically building up to the maximum uh, retirement contributions then after year 10. And is this only relating to people who don't have pensions currently or does it apply apply to every uh, employee? Yeah, good question. Uh, About 
um, the, the official statistics are about 56% of the population have pension ranges of some description but when you take the public sector out of that uh, there's about 35% only of employees in Ireland uh, or workers in Ireland um, who have some form of a pension arrangement so this is designed to uh, apply for anybody who's over 23 and under 60 years of age where there is no existing pension scheme in place from their employer or indeed uh, they might be doing something themselves. This is for those very significant numbers, as I said, three quarters of a million people who have nothing done. And uh, Okay, so it, after 10 years, uh, the person who has nothing done will be getting 6% of their salary uh, deducted to go into the pension and equally 6% of the employee, uh, a matching contribution from the employer yes. of up to 6%. Will that put people um, who, who've started their own pensions at a bit of a disadvantage if they're not putting in 6% and if their employer isn't obliged to put in uh, a corresponding amount? Yeah, a good question. I'd say that is the type of um, scenario that is going to be teased out, I imagine, over the next two years. There are some, you know, quirks of, of existing pension arrangements that will have to be just looked at. For example, we would see any employers and many employers who are doing pensions at the moment are paying in typically 5% of salary, which would be quite common, and the employee matches that with 5% of salary. Um, but the the big change here is that the employer in the new world will not have to go and source the pension provider, will not have to worry about anything other than making sure that the payroll system is set up to deduct the money from the employee and automatically pay it in. The government has decided to make sure that the number of providers is going to be limited to four. The charges are going to be quite low, maximum anticipated of 0.5% per annum, which is usually a lot lower than what people pay today. And um, so basically we would see that this is a complementary strategy that fits in beside existing occupational pensions and personal pensions. I imagine over time, John, that over a period of time, maybe over the next 10 to 15 years, there will be some element of blending going on where, you know, probably by 2040, there won't be a huge difference between all types of pensions. Now, um, I saw in some of the coverage during the week that there are going to be four different types, I think high Mm. risk, you know, medium risk, like in private Mm. ones. So are employees going to then be asked Asked, uh, you know, to choose their type of fund, and will that have to go through the employer as well? So the, 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 the main role of the employer here is to make sure that they match whatever the employee is doing based on the 1.5% and all the rest, uh, 3%, etc. But the employer doesn't have to worry about where the funds are invested. The employee makes the, the decision. Each of the four main providers of these pensions will have the low risk, medium risk and me, uh, high risk. But if somebody doesn't know what to do, which there are many people that I would find and, and my colleagues in the industry would find, look for a lot of advice as to where to put their money. There is what's called a default strategy and a default strategy strategy will be the same for all providers whereby typically if you're young you would be taking a more risky approach towards your investment than you would if you were uh, in your late 50s. Uh, and also a default strategy would be known as a lifestyling strategy where automatically, uh, and automatic I suppose is part of the whole scenario here, but automatically the investment exposure to the markets will Uh, be reduced on a monthly basis by an algorithm which means that when somebody retires at 66 years of age the month before they retire at 66 usually about 98% of their money is in cash 
low risk and 1-2% of, of their money is in the markets. So that's what's called lifestyling. It's to avoid a, a 9-11 type scenario where somebody might have unfortunately retired a month after 9-11 in 2001. Their fund could have dropped by 30%. Ouch. That doesn't happen anymore if the lifestyling has been adopted. And that's what the default strategy will be for all employees. I would say you'll see a significant amount of the employees opting for that. Finally, um, when can employers start to expect to see stuff dropping into their inboxes or mailboxes on this? And is it going to be run through revenue or is there going to be a new organisation? There's a new organisation being set up called the Central Processing Authority and uh, they are going to be responsible for making sure that uh, everybody's on board. If somebody is trying to, uh, for some reason, avoid paying uh, the contributions matching the employees, it will be, I presume, uh, very well monitored and there will be significant penalties. Uh, But the CPA will be the main go-to central portal, if you want to call it that, for all employees. So if uh, an employee decides to go into a uh, provider, just say provider A, uh, and another employee wants to go into provider B, um, the CPA are coordinating everything just to make sure that uh, everything is, is centrally run. So there's, again, there's no appetite really from the revenue and the government's point of view for people to be I suppose over over um, uh, overburdened with choice it's going to keep, keep it very very simple and one central portal will do all of the work on behalf of the employees and employers Well good news and uh, good news for future generations uh, Ed Kassan thanks very much for talking us through that and something tells me be talking to you again about it before too long thanks very much Thanks for having me John The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. And on Thursday last, Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce hosted another of their resumed series of chamber chats. And this one was in the Abbey Quarter in the centre of Kilkenny City. I spoke about it at the start of the programme, a huge site uh, which came into uh, new ownership, a public partnership between uh, various parties uh, to develop it. A huge site, I think, in the area of 20 acres and for a long time there's been talk about how it would be developed well the good news is a new uh, premises building, the brew house is opening soon and uh, the chamber chat featured a walk through given by Jason Clerken uh, who's the chief executive of the Abbey Abbey, Abbey Quarter Partnership And, and I caught up with Jason and actually started as we were walking to the start of the site and I asked him about uh, how work was going and about the project getting underway. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, obviously with COVID things were quite slow, but we've made a lot of progress in the last 12 months and I'm delighted to say that the building is just about finished and we're handing over uh, most of the units in the next two weeks to all of the tenants. And how many uh, seats will there be in the brew house, do you estimate? Yeah, I think uh, with uh, working from home, what it'll be interesting to see, but I would imagine there'll be at least 300 people working down there uh, through a combination of remote working and bums on seats. Okay, I'll let you back to the tour. Thanks, John. So welcome into the, the brew house. You're probably the few people that get a chance to come in here and have a look at it. Mark designed this, so I'm not taking any credit for his wonderful design. So, and, and his team, of course. So the, the, horse, the brew house square is there. Um, 
So uh, not much to be said about that other than it's a great amenity to have. And it's a public amenity, of course. So the only parts of the building that will be, the tenants will have will be here, but the public can use all of this space. This is all part of the public realm. And that black hoarding that's up there, I mentioned our next building, that's what we're designing there. So that'll go behind that building there, framing off this courtyard. And just at the other side of that again is where the new urban street will go. We might look at that upstairs. What we'll do is here is um, we'll go upstairs in a, and, uh, in a second and we'll just have a look from maybe one of the top units because we get a, a bit of a vista around the city. Um, but this is the central atrium. The original intention of this was to have a multi-let building with a, a, a nice common atrium area. This was part of the original brewing hall of the brewery. So there would have actually been vessels in or, in or about this location. So just that light is, is kind of symbolizing one of those vessels. And we've got this nice concrete boardmark wall and a wonderful spiral stairs up through the building. And uh, we've actually kept some of the old materials from the building. So you'll see over at the other side of reception there, the switching gear and clocks and whatnot has a nod and gesture back to what was once a brewing history here in the building. And we'll be doing more of that as the, as the building evolves. So we might just nip upstairs and we can use the stairs and we'll go right up to the top and we'll nip into one of the units. Jason, can you describe where we are at the moment and the vista that is before us? Uh, we're up in Unit 9, which is the penthouse unit facing the Abbey. And uh, what we're overlooking now is the park. And the new urban park is going to be developed by the council. And uh, the skate park, you can see in the distance. So this, this whole area is going to be uh, maintained as a park. And then the other side will be building buildings uh, wrapped around the Abbey. And it really shows the scale of the site here, and it's a really it brings to life the the plans you were talking about earlier. Yeah, no, it certainly does. I think it's always good to get up here in the building and see see the sense of it. And I don't think people fully appreciate when we talk about a new urban park the scale of it. I think it's going to be a fantastic addition to the city, and I think once it's done in eighteen months from now, I think it'll be really popular and well used. And what's next after this building uh, goes into use in the coming weeks and months? Uh, we're looking at uh, the next uh, office building and, and uh, on site and we're, in, we're hoping that planning for that this year. And then we're also exploring the residential and uh, a potential hotel on the site. And all of that we'll be doing this year. Colin Ahern, President of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce. Uh, a really impressive building and we're really lucky to get a sneak preview this evening here in the brew house. You're blown away, John. Um, you know, when, you, when, you, when, when you're walking along the River Walk or you're coming along down Parliament Street in Irish Town, you don't really get a sense of what has been built here. Um, and uh, we're standing up here on the, the, the fourth floor looking out over the entire city and it, it really is a fantastic addition and only the start of what is going to be a development that's going to bring thousands of people uh, living and working um, in, in our city centre and I for one can't wait. Uh, for many years it's been a challenge, you know, an unrivaled site in the centre of Kilkenny City, but we're really beginning to see it starting now and, you know, it's the end of the beginning, but lots more on the agenda. Yeah, look, you can look at it from a positive point of view or a negative point of view, but certainly from a positive point of view, I don't know a city uh, in, in Ireland that has this development potential right smack bang in, at, at its core. Um, and uh, I, for one, am really excited to see what's going to happen here over the next few years. It should lead to a bit of a rejuvenation of this end of town. Uh, plans to bring tourists down this end, but there'll be 300 new uh, people working in this part of town, in Irish town. That has to be a welcome development. 
It does definitely. I mean, part of the part of the short-term development is that the, that there will be coach parking down here. And um, for years, I've I've always said that that uh, coaches need to park down there. We need to drive our tourists up through the town and ensure that we get as many people going from the cathedral to the castle as as the other way. Um, it is it is. It, it is really important that the whole development comes along and the people that work here are going to need to eat and they're going to need to drink and they're going to need to all those sort of facilities so it really will come along quite quickly I think um, I'm, I'm blown away standing here in, in a building that I didn't realise was, was, was as finished uh, as close to being finished as it is and to know that there's people moving in here in the next three or four weeks to start work is incredible and some lovely nods to uh, the history of the building as well, the fuse boxes and the machinery down in the entrance area, etc. Brewing still, uh, you know, at the heart of, of this area. The history is important. And St. Francis Abbey, just outside here, you know, plans for a big public park around that. That's going to be really an attractive uh, place for visitors and for locals alike. The, the quality is dripping out of it. Um, you can see the amount of... The, the, the amount of planning and the amount of, of, of dedication to history that's gone into it. Um, huge credit to the local authority, to um, Colette Byrne, Tony Lahoff, all the engineers that worked on it, um, to Jason Clarkin with the partnership. Um, they really have married the new with the old incredibly well. And I think as the public and the people that live and work here over the next number of years uh, get, uh, get to in- incorporate with all the buildings and wh- what's here, they'll really get a sense of the history of the place. I, I don't think it's going to be lost by this development in any shape or form. Collect, great to be here to see so many plans over so many years come to fruition only weeks away from seeing people moving into the brew house. You must be very pleased with the project so far. Oh yeah, no, I suppose it's been longer than some would like getting to this stage, but it is good to be here this evening and I suppose giving people an opportunity to see what's happening. Um, and I suppose you're right, it's good to see people in the next couple of months, the building will be occupied and just the impact of having over 300 people working in this building, the positivity it'll bring to this end of Kilkenny, I think it can't be but a good news story. And for many years, you know, there were questions whether anything would go in, but plans well advanced. There's a succession of phases, and after this phase, other phases, and public realm a huge part. It's going to really open up a part of Kilkenny that has been behind walls for so long. Oh, absolutely, and I suppose the overall master plan was about connectivity and connecting the Abbey Quarter into the city centre and I suppose it being used to connect every side of the city together and that's what you're seeing at the moment I suppose the Riverside Walk is there at the moment the next phase now when we finish what we're currently working on is the urban street that will run right through the site and the two and a half acre park and I suppose that two and a half acre park connects from the new public library um, in Irish town, right down to the skateboard park. So I'm not so sure that the public quite get what that park is about. It really does open up the whole site. It'll be a great new public space. It's two and a half acres in a city centre and I suppose designed with Kilkenny in mind. It's designed for the festivals. It's designed, we've had consultations with the Arts Festival. We've looked at how we design it to make sure we can bring in a Spiegel tent that will bring its own bit of activity. We've looked to make sure that we can use an ice rink in the new park. So I think it really, a lot of work has gone in and I suppose I'd have to compliment Tony Lauhoff, the engineer who's done an awful lot of the work on this project while I was here for the last seven years um, and a lot of work going into the detailed design to make sure that we've ended up with the quality that you're seeing today. 
And the quality you talk about, there are going to be 300 uh, people working here, um, but it, it, it'll be a stepping stone perhaps to further development, a great uh, you know, calling card for Kilkenny as a place to work and to live and to visit. Absolutely. I mean, one of the challenges we have at the moment, I suppose, as regards trying to attract in new big employment, is we don't have good quality, large-scale, I suppose, city centre accommodation um, offices. So the next building that the Abbey Quarter Partnership is planning is an office block, partly office block. The ground floor were very, I suppose, conscious in the design to make sure that there'll be life on the street with it, that it's not just one door into a big office block. So the ground floor will be mixed use, um, servicing some of the needs down here. It'll open up onto the street and then above the ground floor will be new offices and that'll bring the next phase of, I suppose, of employment. The public library will be open by this time next year and that's a significant investment. I mean, that's probably six, seven times bigger than our existing library and it's what is known in library world as an open library. So it means that those who sign up and they become a special member, they have a little bit of an additional membership, but they will be able to access that library from 8 in the morning till 10 at night, seven days a week. So that brings its own little bit of footfall um, down into this area, and I think it'll be very positive. Yeah, now we're standing in the courtyard outside the brew house. This will eventually be framed by the other building. I think it's building seven. I I can see from where I'm standing uh, the 1710 courtyard, which is at the back of the Smithix experience. Good news that that's to reopen and that'll add to the tourist offering in this in this area of town as well. You know, absolutely. I mean, I think we were all disappointed and shocked when they announced they were closing. A lot of work went in, I suppose, and we'd have to thank them for making the decision to reopen. And one of the things we're conscious of in the council and in the Abbey Quarter Partnership, I suppose, there's a lot of brewing history on this site that we're standing on. And as we do the public realm and we name infrastructure, etc., we want to make sure that that brewing story gets gets told. The monks were here before Smiddix. So you would have seen in the presentation you got earlier, I suppose, we're looking at reused copper tank and engraving the story of brewing on it. We're looking how we can use the maturation tanks, the vats, and reuse them um, in the brew house building itself. A nice few nods, I suppose, to the brewing story. And in the new park then that's been done, the layout of that, I suppose, will reflect one the abbey that's underground but also orchards and other planting that would reflect the brewing and you'd see I suppose on the entrance to the Riverside Park that we have at the moment I suppose we acknowledge Smiddix and the brewing that was here for 300 years. Finally, um, at the presentation, it was largely about the brew house and uh, the whole Abbey Quarter, but you did mention the challenge that uh, is going to come for all of our community with the Ukrainian crisis. Absolutely. I think we're all couldn't but be moved by what we're seeing happening in Ukraine at the moment. And I suppose as a country, we're all trying to do our part. And I think Kilkenny now is starting to see, I suppose, the first Ukrainians come into the city. um, And we'll be working as a council to coordinate the response from other agencies and the community. But we're certainly in for a challenging, I think, couple of months. And the way I'd best describe it would be, I think, for us to deliver what we need to deliver in the next little while, the whole community are going to have to wrap their arms around the Ukrainians because the state agencies won't be able to do this on our own. We do require assistance um, and some of those appeals, I mean the one thing I would say is I chair the community forum response. If we put out an appeal it'll be very focused and I could absolutely guarantee anyone who does contribute, whether it's whatever the products are we're looking for at that time, they will be needed and they will be put to excellent use. 
Clepburn, their chief executive of Kilkenny County Council and also uh, involved in the uh, Abbey Quarter partnership in that role uh, and bringing an end to that report where we also spoke to Jason Clerken, chief executive of the Abbey Quarter partnership and Colin Ahern, president of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce all speaking at that sneak peek we got uh, as part of Kilkenny Chamber Chats during the week of that fantastic new office building down in the heart of the Abbey Quarter. Coming up we're going to be talking to a really interesting new business called Yellow Deer Designs. Don't go away. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. KCLR indeed, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme Foreign About Business, and we're always delighted to talk uh, to new businesses. And our next business, our next guest started her business making greeting cards as a hobby before taking the plunge and going full-time earlier this year. And already she's attended Showcase Ireland, which is the most prestigious trade fair for high-quality craft and design in the country. And our cards and designs are stocked in an ever-increasing number of shops around the country, I'm delighted to welcome Caught Mackie Marr to the programme. Good morning, Caught. Well, listen, yeah. tell us about uh, how you took the plunge uh, to start your new business. Um, so it's a long time coming, I suppose. And, and, you know, things look like they happen overnight, but they definitely don't. Um, I've been drawn for years, but didn't really appreciate that I had probably a talent in the area. Um, and when I was on maternity with our second girl, I wasn't earning any money. And I was like, oh, this doesn't do me for any favours. So I was going to set up an ironing business and my husband was like, God, no. An ironing <laughs> don't, business. Don't do that. <laughs> an ironing business. I thought everyone hates ironing, you know, to do it, even though I hate it myself. But um, he suggested maybe sell your cards. And I was like, oh, I don't know, would it work? But I, I chanced it um, and I started hand-drawing cards for five euros. So it was completely bespoke at that time. Whatever you wanted, I just didn't really know what people would be looking. So I suppose I spent the first five years as a hobby um, but looking back on it now, it was great market research because now the response to the cards making that are more generic, people love. And it's probably because they chose it back in the day. And yeah, because um, uh, people hate earning, but they love getting cards. And it is a big yeah. business, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, like surprise. So like I have birthday cards from when I'm five. I've, I've always loved cards. And I suppose I didn't realize, I'm not from a business background. I didn't realise it was such a big market. But Ireland, England, America and Australia are the biggest um, card retailers across the world. So I'm in good company. Yeah, and there's lots of occasions, like we've just had Mother's Day and so on. Everyone's got a birthday. Uh, lots of yeah. other stuff as well. And I suppose you can, doing it bespoke, you can make cards for all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And like you'd be surprised. I think communions and confirmations are my biggest um, market, I suppose, at the moment. Right. Uh, like after Mother's Day, uh, lots of, and they're all, go- all going ahead again now. So it's really lovely. Because I do a personalised communion and confirmation card, so you can get it for your little person. And of course, you you indicated that you were a chronic hoarder, but uh, you don't have to be sticking it in a (laughs) a drawer. You can frame your creations as well. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, and I didn't realise, like, I used to do that, and I'd I'd maybe cut up cards and make collage letters, but until people started getting back to me with the cards I was making Mm. and saying they were framing them, I was like, oh God. So, um, yeah. A hobby is one thing, and giving it to your mammy or your dad or whatever um, is grand. They're not going to cut the legs from under you but it must be a big step um, kind of putting it out there and saying like here's a birthday card yeah. for someone I don't know and how do you take the confidence leap oh yeah yeah <laughs> it is massive and like if you met me five years ago I was a very different person I drove my teenager mad being like double checking everything I did and second guessing even taking photos of it like I had her hold and props like I, I didn't do her, any of us any favours but now um, just I suppose that external validation from people acknowledging that I do have a a gift um it's really cool so i'm 
I'm a lot more me than I was, I suppose, five years ago, and it's lovely to be able to say that. Yeah, and how's, so, how's business going? Um, uh, you're, you only went full-time in January, but already you've been at Showcase. Uh, I've heard people yeah. can try a long time to get into Showcase, so yeah, you must yeah. be going well. <laughs> I am. I'm going really well, thank God. And you know what? Without the help of the local enterprise organisation, I wouldn't have got to Showcase. Um, they really encouraged me to go, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, but it was a blast. It was such an honour to be part of, like, we have amazingly talented businesses in Ireland um, and being part of the new, everybody starting up. So it was real, like, a hall of dreamers. Um, so it was, it was amazing. And from that, I've met, I think, about 10 um, small independent gift shops that are now stock in Yellow Deer. Um, so I'm in about 15 now, which is fantastic. fantastic yeah. And what are your money. ambitions for the country, uh, for the company, Cot? We can get on to the country maybe in other programmes, but yeah. just for the company first. The company. Um, oh, uh, like, it depends what they ask me, but I think that's the creative mind. You can go all over the place. But probably I'd love to see my own um, illustrated range. So I remember when I was younger going into yesterday's in the book centres and then later when I was a teenager into the buttership and they'd have like a range of products with the same theme and illustrations on them. And I used to just die for them, like notebooks and glasses, um, boxes, glasses, box holders and pencil cases so I think I'd love something like that yeah yeah um, what, uh, you know how can people get their hands on, on your stuff and I have to say what I've seen of your work is lovely and I'd urge people to check out your Instagram where you did a really lovely um, a graphic about you being on the radio and you actually <laughs> a picture of yourself on the radio <laughs> on the radio <laughs> yeah I like I like that part of it I, lo- I like to be quirky and just like I said I'm more me than I ever was so just be have fun with it because I think you can get very serious in business and bogged down by the business side of things and I probably need a bit of that but um, I think if you can't bring a bit of fun to it you're, you're at nothing absolutely um, in Kikenny I'm in um, Rose House the new beautiful gift shop there and I'm also in the treasure trove of the Butter Sip um, and I'm in Catholic Homer in Kew Health they gorgeous guys up there have me stocked um, and in Carlo I'm in Bird Cage Cafe and the Snuggly which is an online shop um, and then myself I sell through Instagram and Etsy and it's Yellow Deer Designs. Great. Well, look, anyone out there do a search for Yellow Deer Designs. Highly recommended. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this morning, Cot, but best of luck to you in your venture and do keep in touch. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. You're great. Have a lovely afternoon. I will indeed. Thanks very much. Cot, Mackie, Marr, there of Yellow Deer Designs, bringing us to a close. And thanks to all our guests uh, this morning, Rowena Dooley, Ed Cassan, Jason Clerk and Colin Ahern and Colette Byrne, as well, of course, uh, as Kate and Mackie Marr. If you have any comments or ideas, do get in touch at the bottom line at caseylaura96fm.com. If you'd like to listen back to the show, you'll get us online and podcasts and all that sort of stuff. Stuff. I hope you have a great weekend, and whether you're at home or at work, out walking, supporting a good cause, climbing a mountain, or trudging up a hill. Good morning, Paddy. Keep your eyes on the prize and keep the faith. Edward Hayden is up next with the Saturday show, and we've got lots more for you all over the weekend on Casey Lore. We'll be back with you next Saturday, just after news at nine until we speak again look after yourself and look after each other the bottom line on kclr with john purcell brought to you with thanks to o'neill foley accountants offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast